0: Welcome to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Be Set Free features the teaching ministry of Pastor Nick Cady. Pastor Nick's desire is to bring the gospel into our lives so we can experience the joy and freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Today's message comes from our Advent series, Love Came Down. Here's Pastor Nick.
1: God created the world in the beginning, right? And he created it in perfection. And he gave those people that he created, he gave them a choice, a choice to trust and obey him or the choice to reject him and rebel against him. And the people chose to rebel. They chose darkness rather than light. And and when when they did that, not only did darkness come into the world, but darkness came into them and it affected all those who came after them. And the proof of that is seen in the generations that follow. I mean, their own children immediately after them, we see violence and murder taking place. We see in the following generations there in Genesis, people turning away from God to the point where at one point in all the world, there's only like one guy in hundreds of years of history that God can point to and say, this guy walked with God. And it says there in, uh, in Genesis chapter 6, it says that in Genesis chapter 5, it says that there were several generations that went by. That's the time when I'm talking about there was really only one person in hundreds of years who walked with God. If you add up the numbers, it's like 1,600 years. And, then, and during that time, it tells us there that the number of people on the earth, the population of the earth, increased greatly. The population of earth multiplied. And it says there in Genesis chapter 6 that God looked upon the earth and the population had grown. And it says that he was grieved to the heart because he saw the wickedness. And he said that he saw that wickedness was great on the earth. And he looked at the people he had created and it says, every intention of the thoughts of their hearts was only evil all the time. And God was so grieved by this, he could see the evil that the people were doing. He could see the evil in their hearts, the ways they were hurting each other. And it made him so extremely sad to the point where he wished that maybe it would have been better if he would have never created mankind at all. And it says there that God looked at the earth and he saw it was corrupt and full of violence. And so he determined to do something. He's gonna start over. And here's what God will do. This is the plan. He's going to pick the very best person, the very best person in all the earth, and we're going to start over. Surely, right, if we could get rid of the bad people, then we could solve the problem of darkness. So let's get rid of the bad people. Let's get rid of the wicked people. If we just wipe out everybody and start over with only the very best person, that would solve the problem of darkness in the world, wouldn't it? So here's what it tells us about Noah in Genesis chapter six, verse nine. It introduces us to Noah in this way. It says, Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation, And Noah walked with God. I mean, what more do you want? He was blameless, never did anything wrong. He's righteous and he walks with God. He's the best person in the entire world. And so God chooses Noah and his family and he pushes the reset button on the world. He sends this flood, everything's wiped out. Noah and his family are the only ones who survive. But then guess what happens? Did that solve the problem of darkness? No, it didn't. See, Noah, he he gets through this whole thing. He sees God's faithfulness, and then he gets off the boat, and he starts growing grapes, and then he starts making wine, and then he starts getting drunk, and then one day he's passed out naked, and then one of his sons comes and does something um, inappropriate, and it's so bad that this son gets a curse pronounced over him. And then guess what? We're right back to where we started. Darkness, people rejecting God, people doing evil. And here's the point. These were the best people in the entire world. We got rid of all the bad people. We kept only the good people who walk with God and who are righteous and blameless. And we still end up in darkness. And why? Because the darkness is within even the best of us. It's within the heart of each and every one of us, even the very best of us. Now, think about this. Do you think that God was surprised that that didn't work out? He was like, dang, I really thought this was going to work, and it didn't. No, not at all. I believe that God knew exactly what was going to happen, and part of the purpose of this story is to prove to us for all of history the only way to get rid of darkness in the world would be to destroy the world, to not leave anyone or anything left. Because even if you just leave one person behind, even the very best person in the world, you won't be able to get rid of darkness because the darkness isn't outside of us, it's bound up within each and every one of us. And this is something the Bible teaches throughout the purpose of the laws in the Old Testament are to help us see this very fact, to make clear to us, here's the standard of perfection, and no one, no one has ever lived up to it perfectly. The Psalm writer comes and he says the same thing. From conception, I have had sin within me. The prophets tell us this too. Jeremiah tells us, don't trust your heart. You know, this axiom like, hey, trust your heart. He says, no, you know what? The heart. Our own hearts deceive us, they'll mislead us. Our own hearts are naturally inclined to rebel against God and be hard against God. And what we need more than anything is for God to give us a new heart, to remove the heart that is hard towards God, the heart of stone, and give us a soft heart towards God. We need to be changed and renewed at the very core of who we are. Jeremiah tells us this promise, he says, you know what, one day God will do exactly that. And then Jesus comes, and and in Matthew chapter 15, Jesus says this incredible phrase. He says, you know what? It's not what you do outwardly that defiles you. It's what's already inside of you. That's what defiles you. And it's from what's already inside of you that evil thoughts and murder, adultery, immorality, theft, lies, slander, all of these things come from the darkness which is already in your heart. What you need is a new heart. And then Paul the apostle comes along, and he tells us, Look, this is why we are all our own worst enemy. We do the things we hate. We don't do the things that we, we believe that we should, that we desire to do because there's something inside of us. There's a force inside of us which is opposed to us. And he says, he cries out, who will save me? Who will save me from this darkness which is bound up inside of me? And then he reaches this grand crescendo where he says, I can't do it, but thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, because he has come and set me free from the curse of sin and death. He has come to set me free from the darkness that is within me. See, here's the thing. Before Christmas can be a joy, it is first an indictment. The first message of Christmas is that we are a people who walk in darkness, in deep darkness. We are people who live in the shadow of death, and that's bad news, but there is good news. The good news of Christmas is this, that the people dwelling in darkness have seen a light. Those dwelling in the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Now notice it doesn't say, from them a light has sprung. In other words, it doesn't come from within us. It doesn't come from among us. On them a light has dawned. In other words, it has come from the outside upon us. The message of Christmas is incredibly honest and real and yet incredibly hopeful because it says the world is a dark place. You've even got darkness within you, but there is hope. A light has come. And so let's talk about that light. That's our second point here, the light of the world. After telling us, About the darkness we dwell in, Isaiah tells us the good news. A light has come into the world, and this light, he says, is actually a person. In fact, it's not just any person. It's a child who will be born, who will be also. So it's a child who will be born, who will be God Almighty. He will be the everlasting Father. In other words, the eternal God, the creator of the world, and yet he will be born somehow. Now, how incredible is that? This person who will be both fully God and fully human at the same time, this person will be the Messiah. He will establish a kingdom which will last forever. John's gospel tells us this about Jesus. It says, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light which gives life to everyone was coming into the world. Here's what light does. Light does at least three things that I can think of. I'm sure it does more, but light gives life. It reveals truth, and it's a source of beauty. So light gives life. It reveals truth, and it's a source of beauty. So Jesus as the light of the world. That is exactly what he does. He comes into our lives. He gives life. He reveals truth, and he is the ultimate source of beauty and joy. He is the solution to the problem of darkness in the world and darkness inside of us. And this is the message of the gospel, that Jesus Christ came into the world. Although he was God Almighty, although he was the everlasting father, he was born as one of us. He left glory and radiance and light and he entered into our darkness that he might bring us light and life. We read in Matthew chapter 27 where we read about Jesus' crucifixion. And it says there that as Jesus hung on the cross, darkness fell upon the land. What was happening at that moment was that the light of the world had come and he took our darkness upon himself. It descended upon him. And he did that in order to bring us into God's wonderful light. He came to give us life by giving us new hearts, by untangling the darkness that is wrapped within us. He came to reveal the truth to us. He came to be our source of beauty and joy. St. Augustine said this, he says, what makes a person who they are is what they love. And just ponder that, it's pretty, pretty deep. He says, what makes a person who they are is what they love. Therefore, the way to change a person is by changing what they love. If you wanna change somebody, change what they love. The problem, as we've discussed, is what Jesus said himself. People have loved darkness instead of light. But Jesus, now he comes into the world and he is the ultimate beauty for us to see, both in who he is and his perfection and how he lived and ultimately how he laid down his life for us. In him is ultimate beauty, the beauty of perfection, the beauty of true love. What we see, this beauty, we can't help but desire it to the point where the more clearly we see this beauty, the more we will desire his light in our life more than we desire darkness. And as that happens, it breaks our addictions to darkness.
0: You've been listening to a message by Pastor Nick Cady of Whitefield Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We'll get back to the remainder of this message in a moment. Join us this Christmas season at Whitefields Church in Longmont. On Christmas Eve, we are having two services at 4 and 5.30 p.m. And we are having a service on Christmas morning at 9.15. For the month of December, join us on Sunday mornings as we remember and celebrate the coming of Jesus with a series of messages called One of Us, in which we will be looking at how, in Jesus, God became one of us reveal Himself to us and redeem us. We are located at 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont, just west of I-25 on Highway 119. Invite a friend and join us this Advent season at Whitefields Church in Longmont, including Christmas Eve at 4 and 5.30 p.m. and Christmas morning at 9.15 a.m. For directions and more information, visit our website at whitefieldschurch.com. Now, back to Pastor Nick with the remainder of today's message.
1: So the question for us is this, how do we get this light, which is able to save us from the darkness, which is in the world, and the darkness, which is even within us? The text tells us, here's how. To us, a child is born, and then it tells us beyond that. It tells us something else. To us, a son is given, given, It's a gift. God has given this gift to us, the gift of his son. You see, the message of Christmas is both a sobering indictment and an incredible hope. The message of Christmas is that you and I, we are so entangled in darkness and so unable to save ourselves that God himself had to die for us. But the message of the cross is that God loves you so much that he was glad to die for you. God himself had to die for you, but God loves you so much that he was glad to die for you. That's the message of Christmas. In order to accept the gift of Jesus, the light of the world, you first have to admit that there's darkness within you, that you dwell in darkness and in the shadow of death, and you need God's light to set you free and give you new life, to change your desires so that you love the light rather than the darkness. And that brings us now, once you get to that point, then what's next? That brings us to the the ultimate hope of Jesus' coming, the day that is dawning. Here in our text, a metaphor is used to describe the coming of God's light into the world. We're told that with the coming of Jesus into the world, God's light has dawned on a dark world. So this metaphor of dawn, interestingly, is actually found throughout the Bible many times. This metaphor of dawn, this shift from night to day, uh, in Romans chapter 13, here's an example. Paul says this, and do this knowing the time that it is now high time to awake from our sleep for our salvation is now nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent and the day is at hand. What Paul is saying is that since the coming of Jesus into the world, where we are at spiritually in the history of the world is dawn. Now, one of the names that Jesus gives himself in in Revelation chapter 22, he calls himself, he says, I am the bright morning star. So this past summer, I climbed uh, Long's Peak with a couple friends, and we, uh, we left pretty early, I guess, for climbing it. We left at 11 p.m. So we ended up climbing a lot of the way up to the top in the dark. We were using headlamps the whole way. And so around 5 a.m., maybe a little bit before 5 a.m., we saw first light, the first light of dawn. And at first, you know, when dawn happens, it kind of seems like everything's the same, that nothing's really changed. But after a while, you start to notice it's not quite as dark as it was before. And then after a while, you realize that you no longer need your headlamp anymore. The stars which have been visible all night long now begin to fade from view until there's only one star left in the sky, which is known historically as the morning star, And you might know that the morning star is not actually a star at all. It's actually the planet Venus. But it is the last sign of the dawn. It's the last star that you can see in this night into day. And the next thing which will happen after you see the morning star is that the sun will rise over the horizon and day will come and the darkness will be fully driven out. And so the way the Bible describes to us where we are at today within the the scope of spiritual history, it uses the word dawn. It says it's like the dawn and Jesus has come as the morning star, the last sign of the dawn and the new day that is coming. Dawn is an interesting time, right? Dawn is neither night nor day. It's something else. It's both at the same time, but yet it's neither. It's dawn. The day is coming. The night is leaving and at dawn, they are both present at the same time, yet neither of them is present in full force. It's still dark, but it's not as dark as it was. And the light has come into the world, but it's not there yet in full force. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19, it says this, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns, And the morning star rises on your hearts. Here's the thing about dawn, though. Once it starts, it's unstoppable. There's no turning back. It's only a matter of time now uh, that the sun will rise and the new day will begin. And the ultimate hope of the Bible is the hope of this new day, which is to come. Now, what will this new day be like? That's the question. Now, let's, let's look at the passages we've looked at so far and see what it says about the new day to come. First of all, we've got this text here in Isaiah chapter nine. And here's what it says there in that second part where it talks about this child who will be born, the son who will be given. It says that he will bring in this kingdom. And during that time, it will be a new day, a day that lasts forever. And during that time, God will reign as king. And there will be peace in the world, true peace. And there will be justice. And things will finally be right the way they should be. Now, we read a passage from our call to worship. I want to bring your attention back to that passage as well. Isaiah chapter 60, it begins like this. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, a thick darkness, uh, and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will rise upon you. And his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. And then he goes on in verse 19 to 20 to describe what this new day will be like once the day has fully dawned. He says, the sun shall no more be your light by day, nor, the, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light, nor the Lord will be your everlasting, or he says, but the Lord will be your everlasting light and God will be your glory. The sun will go down no more, nor your moon withdraw itself. For the Lord will be your everlasting light and your days of mourning shall be ended. Your people shall all be righteous. They shall possess the land forever. The branch of my planting, the work of my hands that I might be glorified. The least one shall become a clan, the smallest one a mighty nation. I am the Lord. In its time, I will hasten it. Here's what he says about the new day in this text. He says, in that day, there will be no more mourning. There will be no more tears. There will be everlasting life. There will be security. There will be prosperity for all people. What all these passages are describing is a new order of things. They're describing life the way it was meant to be lived, life without the curse of sin and death. Now, just imagine for a second what that would be like if darkness and sin and death were not a factor, It would mean no more death. It would mean no more sickness. It would mean no more breakdown in relationships. There would be justice. There would be equity. Now, the the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, have a term for this in their language. They call it shalom. Now, you might be familiar with that word. We often translate that word in English as the word peace. But actually, the Jewish concept of shalom is much bigger than how we tend to understand peace. We tend to understand peace as the absence of conflict, But for the Jewish people, shalom is is more akin to what we would say in English, the word harmony. Okay, so here's how one lexicon, Strong's Concordance, here's how it defines the concept of shalom. It says shalom means completeness, wholeness, health, peace, welfare, society, soundness, tranquility, prosperity, perfectness, fullness, Rest, harmony, the absence of agitation or discord. In modern Hebrew, there are related words. The words are shalom, which means to pay for something, and shulam, which means to be paid in full. Jewish rabbis say that shalom is the theme of the Bible. You wanna know what the whole Bible's about? It's about the restoration of shalom. Now, of course, Jewish rabbis, they're referring to the Old Testament alone, but if you look at the New Testament, this concept of shalom is still there. Oftentimes, it's what is referred to as the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. If you remember back to our text in Matthew chapter four, that's what it says, that from that time forward, Jesus began preaching, saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What's he talking about? He's talking about the new day is coming. The light of the world has come into the world. The time is dawn. The new day is about to be here in full force. So get ready. It's the idea of shalom. Shalom was the original state of things before sin entered the world. When sin came in, the state of shalom was lost. And for the Jewish people, the hope of the Messiah is that he will come and he will restore shalom. For the Jewish people, shalom is what they long for. It's what they hope for. In Hebrew, when you meet somebody on the street, you say shalom. That's the greeting. You don't say hi, hello, what's up? You say shalom. And their greatest city, think about this, the city where the temple was built, the city where the presence of God was to be, where people were to come and meet with God. What was it called? Jerusalem, the city of shalom. This was their hope for that city. The presence of God would rest there. The Messiah would come and rule and reign, and he would usher in the kingdom of shalom. This hope is that the Messiah would come and he would restore the shalom that sin had broken, and he would eradicate sin, and he would judge the nations and establish an everlasting kingdom where he would reign and rule as king. As Christians, this is our same hope as well. This is the hope of the entire Bible, and here's the thing. The message of Christmas is that with the coming of Jesus, the dawn has begun, and soon the night will be over. The new day will fully come. When Jesus entered the world, the darkness was broken. The light began. The dawn began, and now we wait. that eager expectation. With eager expectation, we await the time when he will fully come, and the new day will be here in fullness. The restoration of shalom is exactly what we see portrayed in Revelation where it tells us how things will be at the end of all things when Jesus comes to judge the nations and he comes to bring the new heavens and the new earth and it says the old will pass away. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. That's shalom. And this is the new day that is dawning. This is the hope of Christmas. This is the promise of the gospel. The message of Christmas is that the light of God has dawned on us who dwell in darkness, and a new day is coming, and will soon be here. And so the, the one question I want to leave you with today is this. Have you received this gift? To you, a child is born. To you, a son is given. Have you received that gift of what God did for you in Jesus Christ, what he is doing for you as he ushers in this new day. Have you embraced the gospel? I urge you to do so today, maybe for the first time, maybe for the 500th time. I urge you to embrace Jesus, the light of the world who took on our darkness in order to set us free and bring about a new day, amen? Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are the one who brings light into our darkness Lord, we thank you that you are the one who has come to take our darkness upon yourself, that you might untangle us from it, or that you might set us free and bring us into a new day. And Lord, we desire that. We desire that shalom. Lord, we desire to live in the light as people who have been transferred from one kingdom to the next, the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of light in you. Lord, help us that we might walk in light in view of this new day that is dawning. So we give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.